Welcome to Move by Grace, the podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio. Good morning, Harvest. So great to be with you guys today. And uh, we want to have our Bibles open to the passage that, uh, man, that lady gave an announcement. She was all right, wasn't she? Yeah. Ephesians 5, um, verses 17 through 33. We're in our series, New Life, New Life in My Family. And we've been looking at our communication. We've been been looking at uh, how we deal with one another. And and we're getting down to the nitty-gritty here. We're getting down to new life in our relationships. There are moments in your life that kind of forever change your outlook. Um, I think it was February 1983. A majority of you in the room were not born yet. But that was the time that I kneeled my heart in surrender. My eyes were open to the work of the Lord. June 10th, 1989, my eyes were really open because that was the day I got married. Fist bump, that's right. And uh, I'm just like, eyes wide open, you know. And I think about uh, May 3rd, 1996, and having the opportunity to carry my little baby girl down the hallway, past the parents, and into the nursery for the very first time. I mean, if my eyes weren't opened after marriage, my eyes were definitely open after that first night of screaming. And pretty much that was the last time it stopped because my eyes didn't open up after that, right, babe? She'd be like, yeah, yeah, you can't testify in church of that because you slept through most of it. I did. Life was forever changed, though, in our relationships with one another, with our children, each one of my children. Probably the most unique time in my life, though, the most altering apart from my salvation was just after Christmas in 1988 when I boarded a plane and I flew to San Diego, California for an extended four-month vacation courtesy of the United States Navy, and I got off of the bus in what we called our P-Days prior to being picked up by a company, and I'd like to just walk with my hands in my pocket. It's just probably, I mean, there's probably a counselor out there going, because you have insecurity issues, whatever, don't counsel me right at the moment. I got off the bus like that, and, and, and I knew everything changed, because the moment I stepped down on the bottom step, the guy across from me started yelling at me and didn't stop for nine weeks. He wanted to change everything about me. It was a uniqueness because we had to learn, we had to learn to work together. I would say I graduated from that as a lean, mean Navy fighting machine, but you all know me, so I graduated from that. Company 74, we embrace this idea of unity and all that went with it, and we came in with 74 guys, and we walked out with 74 guys. We were the only company that year that did that. 
we experience some life-altering things. In just a minute, we're going to get into God's Word, and I'm going to give you four words that will give you life-altering, God-honoring transformation in your families and in your relationships. In fact, that's kind of the hub of our message today. How to have genuine, keyword, genuine, life-altering, God-honoring transformation in your families and in your relationships. Let me give you those four keywords. We're going to go to prayer. If you want to write these down, there will be more, more notes that follow. But here's the four keywords. Reset. Right? We don't have a slide for this. I'm just going to give it to you. Reset. Improve. Write that down. That's the second keyword. Reset. Improve. Here's the third keyword. Yield. Yield. Here's the fourth keyword. Love. If you miss some of those, you're going to see them again. So right now, let's just stop and go to prayer. Let's give this time to the Lord. Amen? Heavenly Father, Rightfully, the songwriter wrote that our praise can't define who you are. Our thoughts can't mold you into a box. You are high and above all. You are worthy much more than we have, have given or offer. We lift up our praise and thanks to you today that you have brought us and knit us together as a people and you have blessed us and loved us. And so now we ask, God, you have come to give us your word. I pray that you would use me as a mouthpiece for your word. And if I cannot speak of you, get me out of the way. Use your word to be powerful in the hearts of these people today. God, we, we desire in a, in a time when everything seems to be falling apart, including our relationships, we desire to have God-honoring transformed families and relationships. So help us to do that today. God, it is your spirit that convicts. So when conviction is needed, would you turn it up? God, it is your word that transforms. And when transformation is needed, would it illuminate? God, it is your word that binds us together in unity. And when that is needed most, would we be willing to receive it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, our hub for our message today is how to experience genuine, life-altering, God-honoring transformation in my family relationships. This is our family series. And I... And I just a caveat here, because as we get into this, I mean, my wife read the beautiful text from Ephesians 5. And it would seem like, well, this is about husbands and wives. Well, no, this is about our families. All right, so don't shut it off when I get to certain sections here. Dig in, dive into God's word, and let's come together and walk forward in mutual ministry together. Write this down. Reset. Reset. If I want to have transformed relationships I need to reset, which means change my mind. Change my mind. Change my mindset. 
Let's think about that for just a minute. Uh, one of the shows that um, we often use as white noise in our house is a, a dog show about how to train your dogs, right? And the guy's like, if you know the show, I can't remember it, but he's training dogs. And what he's basically doing is just trying to reset the dog's mind who wants to chase after a squirrel to get him to not do that. Reset the dog's mind who wants to bite your neighbor to whether you think it's appropriate or not, not do that, right? And his language is this little, you know, that's all he says. I tried it with my dogs and they just look at me and laugh. Two of them are German, so they laugh in German. It's, it's quite funny. If we're going to have transformed, genuine, God-honoring relationships within our families, we need to hit the reset button sometimes. So let's go back to what Paul is talking about in the book of Ephesians to help us reset our mind. Okay? Okay? All right, good, good, good. Go back a page. Maybe it's even right within, if you're using the ESV, it's page 1176 to chapter 4, verse 1. Paul is writing, and uh, so if you don't know the divisions in the book, the book divides usually halfway through for Paul. Like he wrote Romans, and he wrote 11 chapters on theology, and then he took the last four, and he said, this is how you apply it. He wrote Philippians, and he does kind of the same thing, two chapters, two chapters, and if we're here in Ephesians, there's six chapters, and he takes the first three chapters to talk about the beauty of the theology of God calling you to salvation, and now he says at the beginning of chapter four, verse one, therefore, and he's going to make the switch, like now let's apply all of this. He says, therefore, I, therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Let's stop there for a minute. Walk is a key word from the remainder of this book. Let's just define it. It's not hitting the trail. It's not hitting the treadmill. It's not doing laps around the building. It has to do with how you live your life. Walk in the scripture is the manner in which you live your life. And he's saying, listen, I'm writing you from prison, and I want you to know something. I want you to walk in a manner worthy. Let's stop and talk about that word. The manner worthy is equal to, right? So he's saying, you live your Christian life equal to, equal to what? Should be the next logical question. The calling in which you have been called. Can we talk about that for just a minute? Everybody say yes. Good, because I was going to anyways. The calling into which we have been called. Paul has been all about this calling in the book of Ephesians. We were called, listen, we were called from darkness to light. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And like Lazarus, Jesus said, come forth. And we heard that calling, and we came up out of the grave. Appreciated that song this morning. God called us to a life with him. Chapter 1, he talks about our adoption. He talks about our forgiveness. Uh, He talks about our reconciliation to him. Chapter 
Chapter 2, he, he talks about that we were dead in our trespasses. But then he goes on, he said, not only did I call you out of your death, I called you into life and I grafted you into a family. Chapter 3, chapter three he, he says this, that Christ now dwells in you through faith. That you have gone from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, according to Colossians chapter 1. That's the reset that he has made us alive together with Christ. Well, you, should, you should have got an amen in there. I'm going to get you guys warmed up here, right? Like, we, we are saved. Amen? We are his children. And that's the reset that allows us to walk in a manner equal to the calling to which we have been called. What is that? That we have been made alive in Christ. We have been saved. But maybe I should ask the question, have you been called? Have you heard the call and answered it? Have you come by faith believing that he is who he says he is? We want to sing, I know that I am that, that you are saying of me, but do you believe that he is who he said he is? And have you responded in kind? And then notice the change in mindset here. Continuing on in verse 2, it says, live a life, walk in a manner equal to or in the equal weight of the calling, worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And how do I do it? With all humility. Humility, you before me, right? Yeah, but I mean, I know I'm better. Yeah. Walk in humility. And then gentleness. Uh, my friend, Pastor Luke Aarons, tweeted this out yesterday. Gentleness is a powerful weapon in gospel ministry. Gentleness actually means meekness. It's often used in the scriptures in how we go about correcting one another. And I think about when you want to correct somebody, right? I mean, you're fired up, right? I mean, I know I am, but I'm assuming you all are like me, so you get fired up, and I'm going to go tell him all about that. I'm going to tell him how he's wrong. But the Scripture says, come with humility and gentleness towards one another. I love what uh, Paul, Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, put on as God's chosen, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and you know what the next word is? Gentleness. And then he says, this reset needs to be not only in humility and in gentleness, but he goes on to say, with patience. Well, you had me till right there. Right? If you notice me on Sunday mornings, I'm really trying to get invested into the song, but I can be impatient because I know that there's a part coming that I need to get to. Right? I've been working all week and getting this 12-page paper done, and I need to present it. Right? You ever think about in your relationships how you can be often impatient and how it affects your relationships? If we want to have genuine life-changing, God-altering family relationships, how would it change if we were just humble? Teenagers towards your parents. How would it change if we were just gentle, brothers and sisters, to with each other? How would it change if we were just patient 
parents? How would it change? Because really this latter section is all about this statement right here. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I like what Solomon wrote. It's, it's better to have bread in a house of peace than fine morsels in, in a house of turmoil. We want unity and peace. We want humility and gentleness. Maybe today you need to hit the reset button. You want to have God-honoring, life-changing relationships with your family? And, and by the way, I, I consider you family because we're a church family. Then, then you need to hit the reset button. You before me, right? I'm going to say this a bunch in this sermon because I want to ingrain it in your mind. Up with my rights... Down with my joy. Up with my rights. Down with my love for one another. Up with my rights. Next thing you know, you're all alone. But, but, everybody say but. Up with my joy. Down with my rights. Up with my love. Down with my rights. Up with unity. Down with my rights. How to have life-altering, God-honoring transformation in your families. Hit the reset button. Number two, seek the will of God. The key word there is improve. You wrote that down. Seek the will of God. Improve. Improve what? Well, we're going to get to that. Because now we're back on task. Chapter 5, verse 17 says this, and, and let me just say from the outset, and I know many of you were blessed last week by Pastor Jeremiah's message from the Lord, amen? I know I was. We're just taking a couple of these, we're just hitting on some of the things, because I had to take some of that and digest it and think through it, and man, it needs to be said again. All right? So hear it again. Seek the will of God. Keyword: Improve. That's a fact. Most of us need to improve on seeking the will of God. Amen? All right. Verse 17 says, therefore, again, he's bringing some points together. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, foolish people don't think they need to do anything different. Let me say that again because you're like, I don't need to change. Foolish people think, I'm okay. This is good for, I really hope sister so-and-so is listening or or brother so-and-so is really keying into this point. No, no. Foolish people don't think they need to change. Humble, God-honoring people are constantly looking for ways that they should be changing, to be more like Christ. You determine today which one you are. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand, that is, to comprehend intellectually, to put to mind, to improve, Understand what is the will of the Lord. And there's a warning. I just want to throw this out there because I don't know where this came from. And maybe I should do the research on this. But the will of the Lord isn't like a path or a dot. Okay? 
The scripture never talks about like, and I hear people talk about, well, I'm hoping I'm on the right path. It's not the multiverse of madness, all right? It's not like if I get off, then I got to figure out how I can get back on it. It's not a dot that if I don't achieve it, I can find, no, the will of God is really simple. How simple, Nate? Well, (laughs) I'm going to give you three things that will help you understand what the will of God is, and I'm going to take it from right here. Y'all in favor of that? Okay, here we go. Number one. How do I know what the will of God is? Uh, number one, 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that the will of God is that you should be saved. Oh, oh. Well, that's pretty simple. Are you? And if you are, congratulations, you have begun to follow the will of the Lord. Are you actively seeking to share the good news so that others could follow the will of the Lord now? Are you invested heavily in showing your family the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for us? So the will of the Lord is that you should be saved. 1 Timothy chapter 2 says that. God wills that no one should perish, but all should come to the knowledge of the truth. The second thing that the scripture says about the will of God is that you should be sanctified. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, says 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. Sanctification is to be set apart for holiness. One of the things that I believe really powerfully in is progressive sanctification. That I am not who I was when I was 13. When I got up from my knees, I was different at 15. But I better not be the same person at 54 that I am now that I was then that I should be progressing to be more and more like Christ. I can't be sinless. I have a sin nature, but I can sin less. Are you progressing in sanctification? It means to be set apart for holiness. We need to be after this. Him working in me, me working to know Him more. How is He working in me? And how am I working to know him more? What, what can I do, Nate? Well, listen. This side of the audience asks some really good questions. This side needs to step their game up a little bit. How, how, it's a great question. How can I work more in my sanctification? I, I, I wrote down three sub-points to the three points that I'm going to give you. You up your sanctification in daily quiet time. You up your sanctification your holiness, you're progressing towards being more like Jesus Christ by being in his book, by bending your knees, maybe going into your prayer closet or your prayer bedroom or as you drive in the car. You, you up your sanctification by finding out how he wants you to live. Your personal prayer time, your personal quiet time. I'm blessed uh, that, that Bible app that we have that we use for notes, the YouVersion app, if you don't have it and, and you're not really doing anything, um, log on to that and invite me as a friend. If, uh, maybe after I say this, you won't. and I might get some unfriend requests. But uh, some people have been, have been blessed by this. They've been reading passages of Scripture and commenting on them and posting them. And, and I get a notification every time somebody does that. Completed the Bible reading plan. Like this verse. I'm like, way to go. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are older. Some of them are younger. What about you? 
You up your sanctification by attending small group. Oh, there we go. I knew he was going to get to that. Right, right. Small group helps us climb the mountain of improvement. We are not meant to live our lives alone. We are meant to live our lives in community together, in unity. Well, I mean, I can't, like, 6.30 is not a good time for me. Okay. Come to me, we'll figure something out. Because you want to be climbing in your faith, you need to be doing mutual ministry together. We should be multiplying disciples. I learned a lot about that word multiplying this weekend. You need to be multiplying disciples, but if we're not in small group, it's going to be really hard for us to do that. And when you don't, when you don't do it, well, then there's no fellowship. And then you begin to doubt, does this church really love me? Or am I really invested? Or you become weak in your faith. You have no accountability. The will of God, if we're going to improve, is that we be sanctified. We, we up our sanctification in our quiet time, in our small group, and in meaningful, mutual accountability. Remember, foolish people don't think they have to change. But I'm here to tell you, the five guys that I sit with on Thursday night in mutual accountability have rocked my world and forced me to up my game in sanctification. And I'm here to tell you, if you're missing that, you're missing out on that. And it's a, it's a God-honoring way to improve. How to seek the will of God? Be saved, be sanctified, and then do good. Do good. The will of God in the Scriptures is really about those three things. Am I saved? Yes. Am I progressing in my sanctification? Am I becoming more holy? He has set me apart. Am I becoming more like his son? I'm working on it. All right, what's something I can do? Do good. Micah 6, 8. Write that down. He has shown you, or O mortal. He has shown you, O mortal. Everybody say, that's me. No, come on. Everybody say, that's me. Very good. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? We should underline that. Um, okay, the Lord's saying something here. He requires that I act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Well, well why, should I, why should I do good, Nate? 1 Peter 2.15. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the arrogant talk of foolish people. Oh. Well, how do I do it? Hebrews 13. Verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, may this God equip you with every good for doing His will. That, and may He work excuse me, in us what is pleasing to Him through Jesus Christ. Here's the how. That's the how. He's going to do it through Jesus. Here's the why. To Him be glory forever and ever. Seek the will of God, right? Paul says, listen, this is what you should be doing. Seek my will. Don't be out there thinking I'm on the wrong path. Get in the Word. Get on the right path. That is the right path. Be saved. Be sanctified. Do good. 
me running after God's will for me at 110% will change my most important relationships. Let me say that again. Me running at 110% towards the will of the Lord, salvation, sanctification, doing good, will change my relationships every time. So I said 110%. That's my goal. What, what's your goal? And if that's your goal, where are you at right now? How to experience genuine life-altering, God-honoring transformation in my family relationships? Reset. Change my mindset. Improve. Seek the will of God. And number three, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The key word there is yield. The key word there is yield. Be filled. Be filled with something. Who's in control? That's the question. At the end of the day, what am I turning to? That's why Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for it is debauchery. He's not saying that wine is bad. Now, whether or not you agree that it's okay to drink alcohol, I'm not here to discuss that. The scripture doesn't say that, but it does say a lot about being drunk or controlled by wine. And in this case, it's called debauchery, which is wasteful living. He says, but be filled with the Spirit. Wasteful living is, what do I turn to when the stress level is here? What do we turn to at the end of the day when I've just been wiped out? Like emotional trauma has overtaken me. What do I turn to? Man, I can't wait to get home to open up something. Yes. Like the Bible? No, I was thinking about a beer. Oh. Debauchery. Because you're placing something over Christ as a fulfillment. See what I'm doing there? I'm choosing this over him because it's going to meet my need. That's debauchery. That's wasteful living. Who are you yielding to to make it through? Have you ever said, man, I need a fill in the blank? Or am I being filled with the Spirit? I love what uh, Pastor Jared said last week about that and how he defined that, the six ways that, that we looked at that. And, and, and the three that really stood out to me were those three Ps at the end, permeated by the Spirit, like a dry rub. Everybody wanted a steak after he spoke last week, right? Pushed by, like wind in a sail. Presided by as a king over the court. The text is to be, keep on being filled by the Spirit. Now, understand a little bit about this because it can be like, yeah, there's so much in the text. What about indwelling, baptism? What about, what about all that stuff, Nate? Well, let me, let me help break it down here just a little. The indwelling of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, and the sealing of the Holy Spirit all happen at salvation. It's a one-time thing. But we are to be constantly being filled by the Spirit. Each Christian has all of the Spirit all of the time, but does the Spirit have all of you? 
Be filled up with Him. He's already in you. And we grieve Him. We gr- listen. We grieve Him by turning to other things. Are you letting the Holy Spirit control you? Are you yielding? Well, how do I know, Nate? Galatians 5 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Can we name some of those fruits of the Spirit? Let's just just call them out. Popcorn here. Patience, right? Okay, good. Love. Okay, humility. I heard something over here. Joy. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, yep. Guys, I'm, 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 I'm starting to get, like, that's the fourth time I've heard patience. Are you trying to say something? <laughs> right. <laughs> I got it, loud and clear, Roger. We know that we are yielding to the Holy Spirit when those things become more evident in our life. That I am more loving, that I am more joyful. Here's one of the ways that, like, I, I kind of test you, too, like, to know if you're, if you're showing the fruits of the Spirit, right? It's like, I knew you before, but you profess faith in Christ, and all of a sudden, you're more loving? Check. You're more joyful? I mean, check. Supernatural delight in the person of God, people of God, and the, pers- the purposes of God? Check. You're more patient with me? I mean, big check. I, got, I, I heard you loud and clear. You're more gentle with one another? Jack, do I have more fruits of the Spirit in my life, Nate? Well, ask your family. They're going to be super honest with you. They're going to see you at your best and your worst. Are you being filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you allowing Him to have control? Are you yielding to His control? Here's another way to know. The text says how we dress one another, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You ever just hear a song on the radio or iTunes or whatever you use, Spotify, and you're like, that song would be really good for, right? And you, and you text them, man, you got to hear that. My kids and I, we do this all the time. Heard this song, da la 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 My wife is remembering her, her father passing away, and I, I sent her a song because it could say the words that I couldn't say in that moment. There's, there's others here, and I, I know in this room, we're going through hard times, and I'm like, let me play this song for you. Let me, let me sing this song over you. And that's fruits of the Spirit coming out, being yielded to Him. And we address then one another with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I think, like, we could read that, and for some of us who don't sing well, like, what, the church is going to become like one of those musicals, high school musical every time we walk in here, and we're just singing the song to one another. No, I mean, people would check, I would check out at that point, right? But we do address each other with songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then we address God. How are you addressing God? I struggle sometimes when people come in and they're like, I I don't want to talk. I just want the preaching. I don't want to do that singing thing. No. Do not see God inhabits the praises of his people. And how thankful you are. Notice in the text it says, be filled with the Spirit giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Always means in the Greek, always. Everything means, anybody? Everything. Wow, you guys are bilingual like me. about that? Think about that, though. 
for the relationship that's not going so well right now in your family? Are you thanking him for that? For whatever he's taking you through in this moment, are you thanking him for that? For longing for a different situation, for wondering what the next steps are? Listen, the attitude of gratitude sets the altitude for living. And we're to be thankful in all things. And lastly, follow Christ's example, love one another. Follow Christ's example, love one another. This was our, our series, it was supposed to be our series on marriage in February. I always do this. And there's kind of a, a danger in doing that because, I mean, this text really is for all of us. It's not just for husbands and wives. And sometimes that takes like 50% of the audience out. Right? We're going to get to that. Um, at a different date. I'm not going to tell you when because if you're not married, I want you still to show up. (laughs) But we're also going to talk about children with their parents. We're also going to talk about how you behave with your boss. Relationships are are important. All right? But I want to talk about our relationship. Look up here. This This is our moment. How do we treat each other? And how do we multiply this as we go out of here into our families? Follow Christ's example, love one another. Uh, four bullet points on this. That love needs to be a submitting love. I knew you were going to get to that word. Doggone it. You know, sometimes you just say the word submit and every woman's shoulder here goes like this. And every man's shoulder is like, yeah. Well, you're reading the text wrong. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Who is he talking to there? Who is he talking to? He's talking to all of us. Everybody say all of us. Yeah, he was talking to all of us. We all submit to one another out of reverence. It's a military term. Uh, Submit means to place yourself underneath someone for the purpose of authority. They lived in a society where military was huge. The Roman government was everywhere, and you were to submit to the Roman government. Place yourself underneath, whether or not you were smarter, more wealthy. I think that's about it. You were to place yourself underneath those that were in authority. And we are to submit to one another. Uh, I wrote this in my notes, and I believe this firmly. Look up here. I'm going to drop some knowledge here, okay? Submission is the Jesus nut of every relationship that we have. Let me say it again. Then I'm going to show you a picture. Submission is the Jesus nut, I said Jesus nut, of every relationship that we have. Let me show you a picture. This in mechanical terms, is the Jesus nut. It is a nut that is attached to the rotor blades that attaches the rotor blades to the fuselage of a Huey helicopter. And if this nut fails, the only thing left for you to do is to pray to Jesus. Right? In our relationships, 
If submission fails, everything goes bad. If we can't submit to one another, everything goes bad. The Jesus nut, according to its definition, is the single point of failure which results in catastrophic consequences. The single point of failure which results in catastrophic consequences. It's a recognition in submission of our position under someone else's leadership. It's not an admission that they are superior and that you are inferior. But it is a recognition that God has called each one of us to submit to one another. And we must have a submitting love. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, now the word submit is not in the actual language because it's a reference back to this verse, so they just added it in there to clarification. Wives, submit to your own, keyword husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, there we are, right there, that's all of us. Everybody say, that's me. Come on, everybody, I decide you're weak. Great on questions, weak on the response here. Say, that's me. That's right. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their own husband. Why do we do it? We do it out of reverence for Christ. We do it out of fear and reverence for the one who saved me. And we do it because Christ gave us that example. I mean, there's no greater love than what Christ did. He submitted himself to the authority of the Father. Well, I mean, my wife, I mean, she doesn't want to submit. Well, are you giving her a reason not to submit? Ladies, are you not humbling yourself before the Lord? And submitting? Teenagers, are you being foolish thinking that you know it all <laughs> and not submitting to the authority of your parents? Up with my love, down with my what? My rights. Up with my submission, down with my rights. Or, up with my rights, down with everything else is going to fail at that moment. I just broke the Jesus nut. It's a submitting love. It's also a sacrificing love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what's it say next? And gave himself up for her. This is agape love. This is what it looks like. Even death on the cross. I mean, look up here. Like, even death on the cross for you. And how we treat each other in sacrificial relationships must mimic that. In fact, let's just take a quiz real quick, okay? Don't get scared, Chuck. It's going to be easy. Here we go. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
one being no way, and ten being death on the cross, in your relationships with one another, how would you rate your sacrificial love? I'm a solid four. Me before you, but sometimes you before me. I'm a seven. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly giving, and I love to give up of everything. And I mean, maybe you should be asking yourself. When we think about God-honoring, life-altering transformation in our relationships, maybe you got the sub- submitting part down with tenseness, but do you have the sacrificial love part down? Jesus willingly, with compulsion, Mark says, he went to the cross for you. How, give yourself a number. One to ten. Now, how can you be better? So submitting love, sacrificing love, and uh, the text goes on to say sanctifying love. Sanctifying love. Follow Christ's example. He submitted to the Father and and. He became the head of the church. He sacrificed in love, and we now have eternal life. And he has a sanctifying love. The text goes on talking of the church, talking of you, of me, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. We'll get into that next week. So that he might present the church to himself in glory, in gloriousness, in splendor. That's the idea, right? Like a... uh, Church, glory, and and my love did that for you. Without spot, that's that's on the inside. (laughs) He gets the things we can't see. Without wrinkle, that's the stuff on the outside. Or any such thing, then it might be holy and without blemish. This is how we're purified. This is how we're saved. We're saved through the washing of the Word. The Word of God saves us. The power of the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to to see the Word of God that we might believe. How do I have a sanctifying love? Am I encouraging in my relationships holiness? Am I doing that? Or is holiness just reserved for Sundays? Am I I an encouraging spouse? Father, mother. Am I an encouraging... By encouraging, like I'm an encouragement to my parents, right? Here was encouragement for me yesterday. My son sent me a picture of him cooking. That was an encouragement to me. Like, oh, he's trying new things. It really wasn't. But it was an encouragement. My children have been encouragements to me when I needed it. My spouse has been a huge encouragement to me through the years. Are you? Are you sanctifying your relationships with one another with encouragement and holiness? Are you building up? Or are you tearing down in your relationships? Guys, 
it's not cute in your dating relationship to tear down the girl that you're dating. Husbands, wives, you are their person of safety. And if you're constantly tearing them down, that relationship is just bound for failure. How to have a sanctifying love. Think of all the ways that Christ has sanctified you. He's forgiven you. I mean, think about that. In our relationships, I forgive this far, no further. No, Christ forgave you of everything, all time, forever, and always. Uh, I wrote this in, he redeemed you. Like, when you didn't deserve it, he redeemed you. So how can I have that sanctifying love in my other relationships? There's times where I need to be forgiving. I need to be redeeming. I need to be reconciling. I need to be building up. Up with those things and down with my rights. Here's the last one as our worship team comes. Sustaining love. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh. Truth, right? Right? We don't go, oh, I really hate me. No, we, we don't do that. Uh, we nourish and we cherish often ourselves first. I've heard it. I've got to get myself right before I can do anything else. A sustaining love, Christ is saying, that's what Christ does for the church. He sustains you. He cherishes you. He, he loves you. He nourishes you because we are members of one another. Therefore, a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. That goes back to Genesis. And the two become one flesh. That's oneness. This is mystery is profound, and I'm saying refers to Christ and the church. And that's mind-blowing right there, right? Because all the Jews knew Genesis, and now he's saying that text where God says man and woman become one flesh now applies, and this is a mystery, that's what the word mystery there is about, because it, it wasn't shown in the Old Testament, it now applies to Christ and the church. We are one flesh. And what he is doing, we need to do in submitting love to one another, in sacrificial love with each other, in sanctifying love, and in sustaining love. Well, I, I, Nate, I'm not Jesus. Praise God. But in the same way, that's what the text says, likewise imitate Christ. Think of all the ways that he has sustained you through the years. Think of all the ways that he has brought you to a place of salvation and is constantly feeding you and feeding you and nourishing you. Listen, how I can experience life-altering, God-honoring transformation, genuine transformation in my families, in our relationships. Sometimes you need to hit the reset button. And that begins with salvation. The gospel changes everything. And we need to improve. We need to seek the will of the Lord. Not only salvation, but sanctification. Not only sanctification, but doing good. We need to be filled with the Spirit. 
greeting one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, addressing God as our Father and thankful for Him in everything, always. And we need to love. That right there is a simple equation for radically changing your relationships. That's from God's Word. The question is, are you going to do it? The gospel changes everything is the song we're going to close with. Gospel changed everything in you. The gospel changes everything in you. And now we need more gospel change. Up with my love and down with my rights. Down with my rights, up with my joy. Up with my sacrificial love and up in my relationships. Reset, improve, yield love. And I guarantee you, by the grace of God, you will see radical change in your relationships. Maybe as soon as tonight. Are you up for the challenge? Thank you. Now how about the rest of you? Are you up for the challenge? All right. Praise God. Let's pray. Let's uh, sing this one song of uh, gratitude to our Lord. And then let's uh, be on our way. All right? Stand with me. It's in the strong name of Jesus I come, Father. And I call to you. You have told us to call to you and you will answer us and show us great and mighty things that we do not know. I'm calling in this moment that you would show us how we can love each other deeply. How we can go from not just loving each other deeply, but then to being multiplying in all our discipleship, multiplying in all our relationships. Show us, Father, how we can grow closer to be like you. You don't, you didn't save us to stay the same. You saved us out of darkness to light. And we need to be more like you and help us to do that. Help us to follow your will. Help us to be filled with your spirit. That it would have more of us. And help us to love. Help us in that uh, submitting love. That's really hard. Help us in that sacrificial love. And help us in that sanctifying love. Especially parents with their children. God, give us the patience and the gentleness that we need to sanctify our children. Set them apart as beautiful and and, and lovely in, in their sight. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this church. This is your church as we honor you in your word. Now receive this final song of adoration and praise today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Harvest Bible Chapel in Cambridge, Ohio, Check out our website at harvestcambridge.org or like us on Facebook at Harvest Cambridge. You are loved.